0: To Macintosh and Mod haven't seen what the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana, and I'm David, and today we watched The Master.
1: A naval veteran arrives home from war, unsettled and uncertain of his future, until he is tantalized by the cause and its
0: charismatic leader. Well, we did it. We watched the movie. This is a bummer. This sucks. (laughs) It's just like I'm not. I'm not even going to pretend. This really sucks.
1: I'm going to say here. That number one, I think I fixed the movie in my head. And number two, this movie sucks really because of its script and its story.
0: Yeah,
1: I think everything else about this movie is awesome. It's gorgeous. It's really fascinating how he chooses to film scenes. The performances are outstanding, even though there's not a whole lot of substance to the characters. They're still acting their asses off. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the score, and I mean, I love a Johnny Greenwood score, but it fits this movie very well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there's no story, mm-hmm. and it's missing the through line it desperately needs.
0: The focus is off completely. I hate this story. It's not interesting. We were sold on a it's a story about a Scientology L. Ron Hubbard-like character, and it's not about him at all, and not in a good way. <laughs> like. Not in a, we we bait and switched ya, and ooh, you know, not in a million dollar baby way. It's not a good story. The characters aren't compelling. And I had to watch Joaquin Phoenix be disgusting for two and a half hours. And you know what? I already watched The Joker. And you know what? That movie was better than this. That's <laughs> sad. It's sad that I am saying that. But I'm also watching this going, this is like... a a prep for his joker, essentially, because I can see everything he did in The Joker in this movie
1: in fixing the movie <laughs> in oh. thinking about fixing the film mm-hmm. I-, I read a review somewhere of someone who because a lot of a lot of people don't consider this like their favorite Anderson movie, but some people still like it. okay and one person's review was that this is a movie about mentorship, sure, and I said it absolutely is except that you failed. To pull that through. I think this movie works by focusing on Freddy. I think this movie works just as it is. If Freddy is somehow broken, he he is this utter free will to like his own detriment. Like he will flame out and die because he is too free spirited. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing for me is that by working with the cause, it should break him. But then it breaks him to realize just how bound he is. Mm -hmm. And that's why he goes home to try to find Doris. Mm -hmm. And that's why he leaves. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes that final scene supposed to be so compelling. That final scene is supposed to be him coming back being like, you thought you changed me to be under your thumb. And instead, you changed me to be free for myself.
0: Yeah, I know that happened.
1: No, it didn't.
0: I don't. I don't know if that fixes the movie because Freddy's not that interesting.
1: The, well, there's a lot of work you have to do with the character throughout the rest of the movie too to get there. You do. You have to redeem Freddy.
0: Okay, but but by that definition alone, Freddy as a character is awful and doesn't work. The aesthetics are great. It's a beautiful movie fine but the story is so bad it ruins everything it's like he said i want to do a movie about somebody who goes into a scientology like world at its cusp when it's starting when it's just now becoming a thing okay cool i like i understand wanting to pick a person as your way into that cool makes total sense
1: Uh, it's very akin to boogie nights in terms of a story structure
0: sure Exactly. That's the, that's one of the first things I said. Like he got away from the thing that he was good at. He didn't make characters that were good. He didn't make a group of characters that we learned about because he has a, a fair amount of characters in this film, but they're all shitty. They're not developed except for the wife, the master, kind of the daughter, and her husband. But that's fine. I'm fine with tightening the circle. But then you have to focus on them. It's about that family, their dysfunction, or it's about the wife and how she's devoted to this man, how she she's become this true believer, how she's aiding and abetting this man. Or what I thought would have been more interesting is the son who looks at all of this and goes, you're a fucking fraud. And yet he's still going along with it. That's more interesting. As your main subject matter, I'm fine with picking, picking a person to enter into this world through and that being our catalyst for finding out information or how we interact with, but he could have used a character and it it doesn't need to be Freddie because Freddie sucks. There's nothing interesting or good about Freddie. Freddie's disgusting. I understand he had their mental illnesses happening here. But from the first second we see him, it's just fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm like, this is not good storytelling at all. You can have a hypersexual, sexually addicted character that doesn't make me feel gross from the first second I see them. Because that's what they did. I actively, I I actively disliked Freddie from the second he showed up. It's Like, no, no, thank you. I don't hate Freddy on paper on screen i hate him on paper i probably don't hate him exactly on paper i probably don't hate him but everything they put on screen disgusting
1: i i think there's i there's one of two ways you can take freddy to make it work as a character is either you know redeeming him somehow mm-hmm. and then having that be the catalyst to the end or you have him and he did this i haven't seen it but you know just knowing off the premise he did this with Joaquin and in inherent vice where he makes this ridiculously out-of-touch character with reality that floats through all this wildness. And that's what Freddy very easily could have been, was this agent of chaos in what had become this rigid structure. Absolutely. And destroy all of it.
0: Yeah, which I thought was what was going to happen when he showed up on that boat.
1: I, I think, honestly, it's that there There's some clues here in the trivia. There's not a lot of trivia about this movie, mm-hmm. but there's some clues that tell me that they just really didn't make a decision one way or the other. And that's the problem.
0: Here's the thing. There's no level of nuance. There's no ability for me to go. He's clearly like really interested in sex, but like maybe it's just it preoccupies his mind. But no, this man is actively doing things, sexual things without any regard. To what's happening around him. That is his pursuit, or his pursuit is to make concoctions, because it's not strictly alcohol, but like to make things to alter his state of mind. Well,
1: you know the other thing with this movie is there's a little bit of Kubrick girl because there's a whole bunch of context you can like dig into and infer from the World War II and the Scientology of it all. Yes. But you have to.
0: You have to know the Scientology of it all.
1: That's another big problem. This movie tries to tell its story exclusively visually in a lot of ways, and that's a problem.
0: Yeah. If you're new to this podcast, uh, I invented the Kubrick rule, which states that if you have to have context to understand the film, to appreciate it, to like it, your movie sucks. If you have
1: to write a research paper in order to understand how the movie works, it's not a good movie.
0: And this movie 100% suffers from that issue in regards to the Scientology-ness of it. We are longstanding critics of Scientology. I am fascinated by Scientology in that I think the whole concept is fascinating and also insane. (laughs) And uh, I want to dunk on them hardcore. And I do often, especially whenever Tom Cruise's name is mentioned. So, if you're new to the podcast, welcome to Scientology Bashing. Guess what? His name is going to get mentioned. Oh, it couldn't not. But. But. Not in the bad context, you think. Okay. Surprising. But But this film, it's not Scientology outright, and that's fine. But to appreciate, because they they don't tell. They try to show, but they don't tell. And some of the times, they show well. They do. Some of those... Both of those, the processing scenes, they do a very good job with. Those are fabulous. But other things that are happening, they're not telling us and they need to explicitly tell us what it is that they're alluding to. It's definitely cubic rule in terms of all the Scientology stuff that's happening a little bit on the World War II, because I didn't really understand what was happening with the warheads and the drinking it. Like I figured it out later, but I was just like, Again, this
1: requires context, but that in the Pacific theater specifically, you had a group of very young men Mm -hmm. thrown on a beach and isolated without any outlet. And so there were so many men who came back damaged because of that. And like that's that's the theory it's working under. But Mm -hmm. again, did you tell anybody that? You implied it visually. And that doesn't give us anything to go on.
0: It just doesn't give us enough to go on.
1: No. Like, I think had we built that in, had we really gotten that context, now Freddie makes a lot more sense. And then you also have to do the work of defining that character. You have to keep that going through the whole thing. And none of that. And they did
0: none of that. They just showed up and like, this guy sucks. He's fucked up by a lot. Oh, he kind of killed a guy. And now he's on the run. It's a Cuba curl movie. It's bad. It's it's truly bad. And it's so sad because when when we see that shot of the boat where you can tell that it's Philip Seymour Hoffman just standing there on the lower deck, I was like, ah, there he is. There he is. <laughs> I was so excited to see him. One, because it's Philip Seymour fucking Hoffman. I yeah. goddamn love that man. I'm sad he's gone. And I knew what he was going to bring to this movie. I just knew it. And he did. He did not disappoint at all. And so it's like, oh, he's there. I get to see him. I'm so excited. And it's like, what a bummer of a movie. Because this movie should have been about him, and it's not. It sucks. It sucks.
1: <sighs> for me, it's more about the disappointment of what could be. Because I see where they could have gone with this. It's for me. I'm. I. I understand you could hate it. From my perspective. I'm making
0: a grouchy face for
1: this <laughs> audio medium. <laughs> but from my perspective, I went there's a way you could have pulled this off with the story you were trying to tell. Because what P.T. Anderson likes to do is take something and use it as the background. And so I'm totally cool with that. And I love the idea of Freddy being the the thing that stirs the pot to destroy it. But that's what it had to be.
0: Well, and see, that is what it could have been so easily because that family is very interesting. Because he's got this daughter... And then this new wife who's got a new baby and she's pregnant with another baby and she's getting married. And that older daughter who just got married, she wants to sleep with Freddie, clearly. And then there's the uh, there's the son who thinks dad's a fraud, who knows dad to be a fraud. And Freddie could have interacted with all these people and stewed more chaos. And it could have been so fascinating and interesting. It could have been amazing. And it was nothing. It was nothing.
1: He makes good movies. This is not one of this
0: them. This was not one of them.
1: Yep. Well, the budget for this film was $32 million. Judging by the production design and everything involved, I get it. It grossed
0: $28,260,000. It did not do well. Because it's, sh- it's shit. <laughs> it did not deserve to make his its money back. Uh-uh, I ain't mad about it. Mm-mm, you deserve that. It didn't get the kind of praise.
1: Um, Because it's horrible. I'll blow this right off the top. This movie got three acting nominations at the Oscars, but no best picture and no design. And and, and after seeing it, because it, it's one of those things you ask, well, it's a P.T. Anderson movie. How not? And I was like, oh, no, I get it. It's I get it. It's not a good movie on a whole. The acting is spectacular. And acting I will include Joaquin Phoenix in that because I think he's really good. Same. But <laughs> the movie's not. And the the Academy did the right thing there. All right, we're not pro the writing. No. I don't hate the directing, but it is also so intertwined with the writing for Paul Thomas Anderson that it's really hard to judge too well on that.
0: At a certain point in this film, I just started watching it and just going, this is what we had to make so that he could make The Phantom Threat, which is of the same era. It's in a wildly different location, but it's the same era. And I think The Phantom Threat is goddamn near perfect. And that's not, that's also not the typical type of movie that I would like. So that speaks (laughs) to its quality because Diana's picky as fuck. Like we know this to be true. Hello. We have over 200 episodes of me being picky as hell. There are moments where I can like, there he is where I get, where I'm excited. Like the, the shot of the boat or we're, we're going around the boat, the shot of the fight in the the department store, the department store alone is gorgeous. And and some of that is the set design and just the attention to that detail. That's very PT Anderson, but the way that was shot with it moving behind the columns and you just, I like how he's okay with losing sight of an actor for a moment. It feels very theater to me. I remember at one point I had a friend who was taking theater when we were like in second grade, she goes, Oh, there's no tushy acting. So you never turn your back to the, the audience. And I just remember as I got older being like, that's such bullshit. <laughs> like, it's such bullshit. And that's also a thing with film. You would think, well, if you're you never want your actor to just walk out of your frame, you you see them leaving. You do that. I was like, no, I love it when you can see the camera is moving, but your actor's also moving out of your frame too. I love that. And he did that so well in that moment. I loved it.
1: That actually came from working with Joaquin.
0: Oh, neat. Okay.
1: After a few days of shooting, he realized that Joaquin would frequently move off screen. Joaquin is known for being pretty method and getting yeah. very intense in scenes. We know this about him. He does mm-hmm. it in a lot of different things. He's an intense guy, to say the least.
0: He's, he's got the background for that. I'm not going to shit on him for it. No,
1: But he would frequently move out of frame in okay. scenes. And so after a few days of shooting, Anderson got his lighting crew to be like, we can't just light one area of this of where we are. You need to light everything around, because if I need to move the camera, I'm going to move the camera. Oh, I love that. So he adapted to the way Joaquin was acting, and because of that energy, he was able to keep the camera moving, which, yeah. But I'll tell you, that points to something else about this movie. Mm -hmm. There's some improv going on.
0: It doesn't surprise me that that is happening with what I see on screen, but it surprises me that P.T. Anderson would allow that. He's allowed improv
1: before. like he is a meticulous guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the past, he's been very good about limiting the improv to scenes where it really makes an impact. Like in this movie, improving the processing scenes makes a lot of sense because in many ways, those are just acting exercises that mm-hmm. they're doing they're They're building on that with a bunch of character development. but They're doing Meisner exercises. (laughs) They're staring at each other, repeating the same lines over and over until a reaction spontaneously occurs. The problem is, is it feels like he lets that stray into how the script moved forward. Mm -hmm. There's no indication that that's what happened, but that's how it feels. And because of that, again, there was no definitive choice one way or the other on how these characters were going to be. It just feels like a mess. And it was like, well, we just watched these. Not great people do not great things for two hours instead of having some sort of actual resolution. It doesn't come together. And I've I feel like that's because they had these actors dive into that too deeply.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, I it just too much of it comes back to the writing. You just we needed to have some big resolution from one of these characters, you know, the daughter leaving her husband because she's wanting to sleep around, the son reporting his dad or leaving his dad just something
1: and there's there's so much we're going to talk about it in the trivia there's so much that ties into the actual church of scientology and there's so much history that doesn't get talked about here that he could have pulled from lightly yeah but he could have pulled from could have used to put into this story and again, he, he doesn't want it to be Scientology because that's not the point he wants to make with this movie.
0: And that's fine. And I, I do like the critique that it's really about the mentorship. And it is, but it's really about the manipulation of that relationship. Absolutely. Where I think that's the misstep of not focusing on that family. Again, it's really good with the family story is that here we have a family set up, but that family is also the business The family is very much in the business and the actual business itself. Each one of those people in the family is a part of selling what they have to offer and they're a product of what they offer. So those dynamics are so intertwined and that reminds me so much of the Boogie Nights family dynamics. It's almost like he was afraid to go there and that would have also allowed him to say whatever he wanted about the Scientology family dynamics without it being specifically L. Ron Hubbard, because we don't know a ton about that. Like, we know. Oh, we, we know. <laughs> we know, but in this world, it would be so different how he's, he's approaching it and presenting it that it wouldn't matter. Like, we get, we get who you're talking about and who this man is modeled after, and you just imagine this whole family dynamic, which is fine.
1: So we do know some of his family dynamic, and it's written into this script, Okay, but he didn't go fully there. Uh, First of all, the drinking of jug juice or fuel mixed with canned fruit is a historical practice from World War II. Sure. They filmed on the aircraft carrier USS Hornet Museum for the film, and the staff there detailed that practice, that men would take cans of fuel, mix it with fruit juice, and drink it on the beaches, because that's what they had.
0: I get it. I'm not shading that.
1: (laughs) The ethanol from the torpedo was based on a story that Jason Robards told to P.T. Anderson.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Something that he saw in the Navy. Mm -hmm. So like, that's some real ass shit. And again, that's one of those things that it's like, it speaks to how they had a subsection of men come back from the war, not just broken by PTSD, but broken by isolation and loneliness. And like, all of that is tied into Freddy's character and we don't ever talk about it. He just assumes you get it.
0: Yeah. So like the thing with the jug juice didn't need to be what needed. I needed to see what they do with the fuel after they get it out of the warhead Mm -hmm. so that I understand better. because like him looking at it's just like whatever, but then explain like then to see them putting it with the fruit and then sharing it and drinking it. Then I would have completely understood. Okay, this is what we're doing. Cool. Fine. And then it would have made other things that happen make more sense. Yep. That was one where they could have shown better if they weren't going to tell me, which was fine. That's fine.
1: As to Scientology, of course, was a big inspiration for the cause in Lancaster Dodd. The press had a field day with it. Sure. Because they immediately thought, well, they're litigious. This is going to be a huge takedown of L. Ron Hubbard. And of course, it's not. not, It it doesn't really judge either way about Scientology. Mm -hmm. The church issued no comment on the film, which makes a lot of sense. It really doesn't have anything specifically to say about it.
0: Because they didn't borrow exactly from their stuff. No. For them to comment on it would lead credence to the comparison. So they were smart with their, their PR is fabulous. Oh, they, they know what the fuck they're doing. And they've got all the money. Their PR made the smart move of just being like, what movie? Pretty much. Like so, some person in Hollywood is making a film. Like what? Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is very smart.
1: Much has been made about the fact that Anderson screened it for his friend Tom Cruise. He felt he should screen it for him out of respect for him and his beliefs. Mm-hmm. He and Cruise were reportedly in an argument mm. after the screening of the film. Now, sources say, not Anderson or Cruise, they say that Cruise was enraged, but specifically objected to the scene where Val admits Dodd is making things up as he goes along.
0: You know, you should wake up, Val, father speak, and you might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? I can sleep and wake up and not have missed one thing.
1: That's something that L. Ron Hubbard's son actually did at some point in history.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because that is a direct comparison to L. Ron Hubbard, and that's directly mocking Elrod Hubbard. <laughs> so I can understand that being the being the thing that would piss off his great follower.
1: Cruz and Anderson have both stated that because they remain friends to this day, they will not make the details of that argument public, nor will they discuss the film anymore in the future.
0: I you don't know that's the respectful and appropriate thing to do. Yeah. Because Paul Thomas Anderson's aim isn't to change Tom's mind. No. Uh, He's a smart man. He's he ain't winning that battle. Uh, He ain't going to be the one. And, you know, Tom knows it's bad for his brand if he attacks Paul. So, like, I appreciate that two people can have an argument and be like, you know what? This is between us with the people who know who said that's it. Yeah. Nobody else's business. I appreciate that because that that uh, respect and uh, sense of privacy is very much forgotten in today's times. It's
1: it's just that thing of like I am making a movie that deals with something that is a strongly held belief of yours. Mm-hmm. I feel like I ought to show it to you out of respect to you because you're my friend, and we're gonna fight about it, and then we're gonna move on.
0: It's also that, but knowing full well that being the most public face of Scientology, he's gonna get asked about it. Of course, he is. it's gonna be in his face, especially if they're remaining friends being a previous collaborator, him being the reason he has an Oscar nomination. Yeah, they're going to ask you about it. So it is in your best interest for you to see this film so you can speak about it with at least that knowledge, whether he's going to talk about it nicely or, or badly or give a no comment, you know, that is fair.
1: Anderson had apparently been working on the film since 2000. So this was fresh off Magnolia. He'd had this story in mind for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, he stated he was most proud of this film in his entire repertoire. Yikes. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe from a filmmaking perspective, not to get too deep into the the technical part of it, but this is the first film that he made shooting in 65 millimeter film stock and screened in 70 millimeter. And Mm -hmm. since he has filmed exclusively in that ratio and that film style, really what it offers him is the opportunity to Both make bigger, more epic visuals on screen and then also work with the film to create a richer resolution. Mm -hmm. So he's able to get a lot more detail and color and nuance in the film the way he films with this camera. So visually, he's working on a lot of new fronts for him, which I can understand from a filmmaking perspective. But like yowzers, story wise, you failed miserably, my dude. Hmm. And funny enough, this was the first film in 16 years to be shot in that 65mm camera. The previous one was Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Now you're seeing more and more, especially big-time filmmakers, doing a 70mm print of their films. Dunkirk was done in that way. I think 1917 might have had a 70mm print at some point as well. So a lot of these big, epic, sweeping movies started to do this because... Anderson did it with the master, and they went like, "Wow, it's gorgeous." <laughs> if only it was good.
0: It's just. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not. This story really ruins everything about it. <laughs> like I can, I can like things individually, but ultimately, it's crap.
1: Well, let's talk about those some things we individually liked, which are the actors in this yes. film. And we'll start with Joaquin Phoenix playing Freddie. Quell. Before this, he was in Space Camp, Parenthood, To Die For, U-Turn, Clay Pigeons, 8mm, Gladiator, Quills, Buffalo Soldier, Signs, Brother Bear, The Village, Hotel Rwanda, Walk the Line, Reservation Road. And this was his comeback film from the very, very flawed failed project, I'm Still Here.
0: That was a weird time.
1: Yeah, and then he he came roaring back with this.
0: I don't think he really came back. Mm, not exactly as a person
1: no as an actor though he did pretty well because after this he did her inherent vice you were never really here don't worry he won't get far on foot mary magdalene the sisters brothers and joker and upcoming he will be in ari astor's new film disappointment boulevard he will be playing napoleon directed by ridley scott in a film called Kitbag and joker 2
0: Okay, gag me with a spoon. Because <laughs> fuck that noise.
1: I'm interested to see him as Napoleon with Ridley. That'll be fascinating.
0: That'll be interesting.
1: And the Ari Aster one, I want to know more, but whew, that's going to be
0: scary. Ari Aster is really hard to take. I know people love his work, but he's, he's hard for me to take. I mean, Joaquin does what he's supposed to do. And Joaquin is good. He's very intense, and Freddie's an intense guy. So intense. He makes me uncomfortable. And uh, I mean, a lot of that's writing, but also Joaquin's doing the work to make me uncomfortable. So I can appreciate that. His best scene is that final scene
1: mm-hmm. where he, he shows this glimmer of, you're not going to charm me back in here, dude. <laughs> but it doesn't pay off because it's like, you, you clearly understand this about the character, but the script doesn't. And it's so frustrating.
0: But see, I see that scene as I don't believe you, but I need you to believe me so that you'll take me back in. Yeah. Like, I need to be here for my functionality, but I'm not a true believer. I'm here for me, not to service your mission. That's, yeah. that's how that scene reads for me. I don't know where he's his best in this film because so much of what he does is pretty despicable maybe in the processing scene I, I was about to say I think the scenes where it's just Lancaster and Freddie being intense at each other or trying to be casual with each other because it's just it's, it's a tennis match between them starting now you're not to blink if you blink we go back to the start infringement you blinked starting now you're not to blink if you blink we go back to the start Do you often think about how inconsequential you are? No. Do you believe that God will save you from your own ridiculousness? No. Have you ever had intercourse with someone inside your family? Yes. Have you ever had intercourse with someone inside your family? Yes. Who? My auntie. Have you killed anyone? No. Maybe. Not me. Have you killed anyone? No. How many times did you have intercourse with your aunt? Three times. Where's your aunt now? I don't know. Would you like to have intercourse with her again? No. Do you regret this? No. Where's your mother? I don't know, infringement. Back to the start. Okay. And they're both so good. And that's that's what's entertaining. Yeah. That's what's fun to see both as just like two very talented actors doing what they're good at. Even yeah. if I don't like the subject matter, I like seeing <laughs> them perform well. That's where it's the most interesting for me.
1: That's true. And again, us having wi- those wildly different opinions of that scene mm-hmm. speak to how convoluted the writing is.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we've we've had wildly different takes on things before, but but again, the writing is so uneven and it's off and it doesn't it, it doesn't have a clear path. You know, we've loved films that don't have a clear path. Hello, we're, our other Anderson doesn't always have a very clear path, but it's the journey is the whole point. didn't even have enough of a journey to follow along. It wasn't, the journey wasn't fun or interesting or compelling. So there you go.
1: To achieve the effect of talking out of one side of his mouth, which is actually really amazing symbolism thinking about it, but Mm -hmm. anyway, Joaquin had his dentist attach metal plates with rubber bands to hold his mouth shut on one side. The bands weren't strong enough to hold his mouth shut though, so they wound up removing them. But because the plates had screw little screws that jutted out just slightly Mm -hmm. and cut the inside of his cheek, that was enough of a physical reminder to allow him to maintain that mouth position as he filmed. That's cool. Yeah, method—a little weird, but interesting way that he found that.
0: I don't take that as being super method. That's just being like, I'm wanting to achieve this thing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be easier for me with you know, it's like wearing you know, like a dental prosthetic, like you know. Yep. Uh, Rami Malik in Bohemian Rhapsody, he <laughs> wore dentures. That's fine. Like, I I look at it the same way. This is something that you're using to aid in your performance.
1: Yep. Who could have been better? Jeremy Renner was the original choice for this role before financing fell through the first time.
0: Ooh. Huh. You know, I have issues with Jeremy Renner. He needs to be in timeout. Ooh. In. Mm, severe timeout. Severe timeout for me. I would love to see Jeremy Renner do this type of role. Yeah. Because... Joaquin brought this physicality to it. And I would love to see Jeremy Renner do something like that.
1: That's fair because he he so often gets cast because of the presence he already has.
0: Yes, I would like him to have to do this very physical character. Yeah, it may not necessarily be on the page. Joaquin definitely brought that to it. But I would love to see Jeremy do his version of that. I'm still going to pick Joaquin, but I, 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 would, I would like to see Jeremy do something like that. Also, who could have been better? James Franco. Okay. He also gets to go to the timeout corner with Jeremy. hmm mm-hmm. uh, Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He gets to go to the timeout corner. Uh, he would have been fabulous in something like this. He's capable of this 100%.
1: I would still pick Joaquin. I
0: would still pick Joaquin. I would say if if we're keeping everything Joaquin did and having James Franco do it, it would come off less creepy because of how attractive James Franco is. I will say that. That was one thing about Joaquin. Joaquin is not an unattractive man, but he's not model hot. James Franco is. That brings a different layer to what's happening.
1: Also, having Franco or Runner would help me feel a little bit of youthfulness from this character because I'm not going to lie. Seeing Joaquin on the beach in the Navy.
0: He already looks 40. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I know he'd like hard life and whatever, but like that even still feels like he enlisted at like 27. Yeah. And I'm going, I really need a character who enlisted really young at a time when, you know, his whole social life was still forming mm-hmm. and then the war just obliterated it. And that's why he is the way he is now.
0: Somewhere where the war took all of his youth. Exactly. Yeah. Younger would have. Yeah. the The younger and the slight, model look also because here's the other thing Freddie keeps getting away with this shit hot people get away with shit yeah. it's just a truth so I think Franco could have done this really well I still like I, I'm still gonna choose Joaquin out of this crowd because nobody's gonna save this this character no and I, I think Joaquin did a good job with what he was given
1: but there is something about that that would that would help it just that little bit yeah
0: the youth and in, in the hotness I mean <laughs> it's um, it's true. Just for just for this character,
1: mm-hmm. that's all. Well, let's move on to a man we've talked about through this whole series, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Lancaster Dodd. Mm-hmm. His final film with P.T. Anderson.
0: Mm-hmm. I love him. <laughs> He's so good.
1: Out of everybody, he feels like he got the most out of the character that was there to get out of it. That's not saying anything bad about any of the other actors, but I mean. That's how good he is. Is that he can take a character that's kind of iffy on the page and make it feel full and real?
0: Yeah, that's just Philip Seymour Hoffman. He doesn't feel like a caricature. No,
1: he feels like a real person.
0: I don't feel like he's pretending. And what I what I mean by that is that I don't feel like Lancaster is pretending. That's something that
1: is so huge about Elron. You know, reading and and listening to stuff about Scientology. Mm-hmm. Almost every person who studied it goes, everyone around him had different motivations in the top circle. Some were in it for the grift. Some were just along for the ride. He was a true believer. Mm -hmm. And Lancaster comes off as a true believer.
0: Yeah. And I don't know that other actors would have gotten that. No. So um, he's just he's fabulous. I wouldn't change anything about him.
1: No. And. It, it's just that thing of there's not, there was not enough given to him to be able to fully flesh it out on his own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then we move on to Amy Adams as Peggy Dodd. Before this, she was in Drop Dead Gorgeous, Psycho Beach Party, Catch Me If You Can, June Junebug, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Enchanted, Charlie Wilson's War, Sunshine Cleaning, Doubt, Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, Julie and Julia, Leap Year, The Fighter, The Muppets, and On the Road. After this, she was in Trouble with the Curve, Man of Steel, Her, American Hustle, Big Eyes, Arrival, Nocturnal Animals, Justice League, Sharp Objects on TV, Vice, Hillbilly Elegy, and The Woman in the Window. And upcoming, she will be in Dear Evan Hansen and Disenchanted. What do we think of
0: Amy Adams in this film? Man, that's the first time we've talked about Amy Adams. I know! That's fabulous. She is wonderful. She's one of our Meryl Streep's, mm-hmm. and that she's just good in everything. She's good, in, and she can do it all. She can do comedy. She can do the drama. She's just she's just so good, and she's she's so good here. She just is because she's soft and subtle. Then when she needs to be tough, she's tough, and she she flips and she flips based on who she's with. But it makes total sense. It's just like yeah, you're the wife of a very powerful man. Who's under attack? This is who you are. Like you're a preacher's wife. You're you're. Uh, that's who you are. Like I love this. This is great. She's fabulous. And this is where we are at. At the
1: lowest level, to have to explain ourselves for what? For what we do, we have to grovel. The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. If we don't do that, we will lose every battle that we are engaged in. We will never dominate our environment the way we should unless we attack it's like a really really subtle lady macbeth yes and the subtlety is what gets me because amy adams as a screen presence is big yeah you know and she's so good that she can you know morph it however she needs to but just in and of herself she is a big presence she has big eyes she has you know this sort of big personality and in this movie, she strips it so down.
0: <laughs> she can be such a chameleon. She really can. She's fabulous. And I mean, I, I remember when I first saw her on The Office <laughs> playing-, <laughs> playing Jim's cheerleader girlfriend, Katie. I mean, she she can do it all. She really can. and sh- And she does it
1: well. And holds her own against two wildly out there actors doing wildly out there characters. She holds down the whole thing from flying completely off the rails. Yeah, she she really
0: grounds some
1: of those scenes. Who could have been better? Mm. Again, before the financing fell through the first time, because Universal was supposed to make this movie, and then the Weinstein company had to come in because they couldn't get it funded. Reese Witherspoon.
0: Oh, okay. I believe that.
1: Here's the thing. Either one of them. I mean Amy Adams is so good next to Philip Seymour, mm-hmm. but Reese Witherspoon next to Philip Seymour Hoffman.
0: Oh, that would have been amazing. Just Reese in this type of harsh, serious type of film. She hasn't really done that. I think Walk the Line was the closest thing and she was fabulous in that. She was in it with Joaquin. She got an Oscar. But it's not it's not as
1: I mean her character is so sympathetic sure. as June.
0: I think this would this is just playing in a lot of different Spots and she's done some of that on TV. She was fabulous and big little lies and uh and little fires everywhere. She she played really complex women and she, she's fabulous. This is a different tone, a different thread, and that that would have been really cool to see.
1: And finally, for our main actors, and there's some other really great people in our ponds, but for our main actors, Jesse Plemons playing Val Dodd. Mm. Before this, he was in Varsity Blues, All the Pretty Horses, Like Mike, Observe and Report, Friday Night Lights, and Battleship. After this, he was in Breaking Bad, Black Mass, The Program, Bridge of Spies, Fargo on Television, Hostiles, The Post, Game Night, Vice, The Irishman, I'm Thinking of Ending Thanks, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Jungle Cruise. Upcoming, he will be in Antlers and Killers of the Flower Moon. What do we think of Jesse Plemons in this film?
0: I wish there had been more of him. Val could have been a really more interesting character. He should have been because of his conflict with what's happening. He has a distaste for the fact that this is a grift. He does, but he's still there. That is so interesting. I mean, we all know people who have stayed at jobs that they know aren't good or right because they just... They don't they don't know what else to do with them so for, for whatever reason. There's a there's a variety of reasons to do that. But what's his? What's the reason you're going to give us? Or, or even if you want to leave it vague, have Freddy poke around at this guy.
1: We get one scene where he does and it's fascinating.
0: But see, then that could have stewed so much conflict because then Freddy being the dutiful soldier could have gone to Lancaster been like, you know, your son saying, you know, what he you, your son was going to sell you out. Oh, we're, we're no, we're we're not we're not gonna broach that. We're not gonna talk. Like, what what is this? And then he could go to to the wife and and tell her, and it's like, oh yes, that's always been a problem with Val, but he's a product of the family, so we can't we we can't do anything about it. Like that would have created so much drama and intrigue, and it would have been interesting. And then Val could have gotten mad at Freddie from like, you're talking shit about me. Oh, it would have been so great. And then we would have gotten more Jesse Plummins, because once I met him in Breaking Bad, I wanted him all the time. He's so good. I'm always enjoying what's happening with him when we see him.
1: All right. Let's move on to our pawns. We have Amber Childers playing Elizabeth Dodd, their daughter. Her main claim to fame recently has been she was on You on television. Mm-hmm. I have some who could have been betters for this, though. Deborah Ann Wool. Mm. Emma Stone, okay, and Amanda Seafried.
0: Okay. Yeah, that all makes sense.
1: We have W. Earl Brown as the fighting businessman. You would, of course, know him as Dan Doherty from Deadwood and was also on True Detective. Mm. Rami Malek playing Clark in a what the hell is Romy Malek doing here movie? Ah, oh, man. This- because he's that good. That's why he's there. Let's be real.
0: He has the chops and yeah. P.T. Anderson noticed that this is just one of his baby roles before Mr. Robot exploded him.
1: And holds his own against Joaquin. He does it's those eyes he is so good at being able to not break character despite everything getting thrown at him that's like one of his
0: superpowers he's very good at letting the face meet hang Mm -hmm. and he has those very big eyes that become very intense when you let the face meet hang and he can do it and he uses it effectively i don't think it's something he does too much No, no 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 but yeah he can do it and it's It's great, especially when you've got Joaquin against him. So, yeah.
1: And in this movie, it's literally just your job is to never show emotion. You have to be a robot, dude. Jillian Bell playing Susan Gregory. She was cast because Paul Thomas Anderson liked her so much on Workaholics.
0: Hmm. I love that.
1: He loves casting comedians. He really does. He does. I mean, he was a super fan of the L.A. comedy scene all through the mid 90s. And he, you know, casts all those people in his movies all the time. Mm -hmm. We have Kevin J. Walsh playing Cliff Boyd. This is the producer of a lot of movies like The Way Way Back, Thoroughbreds, and he's going to be doing Death on the Nile, The Last Duel, and House of Gucci. Mm -hmm. Lena Endra playing Mrs. Solstad. She is a Swedish actress, which she's doing a very good Massachusetts mom. Yeah. But she was in the Swedish Dragon Tattoo films and was in Kingsman Golden Circle. We have Madison Beatty playing Doris Solstadt. She was one of the uh, killers in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She also played a similar role in Aquarius.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Kevin J. O'Connor playing Bill William. He was Sammy in Steel Magnolias. We just talked about him. Yep. Patty McCormick playing Mildred Drummond at the party. She is the original Bad Seed.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And played Pat Nixon in Frost Nixon. Mm, okay. We have Laura Dern playing Helen Sullivan. She is Laura fucking Dern.
0: Yeah, we've talked about her before.
1: We have Fiona Dourif as one of the dancers in the revelry scene, the naked dancers. She is the daughter of Brad Duriff, who we've talked about in our Chucky series, and also One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, okay. And then finally, I'm not sure exactly where they are, but as part of a band in one scene, We have Eben Schletter, who was the composer for Mr. Show and SpongeBob, and the house pianist for the Largo Club, and singing Melora Walters. Oh, yeah. Because it's one of his regulars. Yep. And that is it for our our pawns. So we move on to trivia. Not a lot here. They premiered the movie in a surprise 70 millimeter screening a month before it premiered at the Venice Film Festival. Mm-hmm. After a screening of The Shining in L.A., the attendees were told that there would be a surprise screening after the movie. They had no idea it was going to be The Master.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: that's kind of cool. When Freddy breaks the toilet in the jail cell, that was completely improvised. The building was considered historical, so the toilet was also historical. Joaquin had no intention of breaking the toilet. He didn't think that was possible with that toilet. He thought oh. if he kicked it, it would be fine. And as soon as he kicked it, it just blew up. So then he just went with it.
0: Yeah, I remember, he, I remember like an NPR interview where they <laughs> talked about this when the movie came out. When I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah, I think that was an accident when they did <laughs> that.
1: I mean, that's the magic of Joaquin is he can roll with that. But I'm sure the producers are like, oh, no. We're gonna have to pay a bunch of money now. Mm-hmm. The Rorschach cards in the hospital are the actual Rorschach ink blots, but the psychologist skips from card one to card four, which violates the specific rules of the Rorschach test. Not sure if that was intentional or not. Huh. And the Aletheia is actually the USS Potomac, originally built as a Coast Guard cutter and then commissioned as a Navy vessel which also happened to be FDR's presidential yacht until his death in 1945. It's since been restored. It's open for viewing and public use in Oakland, California. Hmm, okay. Now we move on to the awards. So as we talked about, this did receive only acting nominations. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. He lost to previously discussed performance of Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. hmm Best supporting actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He lost to Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm not even mad about that because that <laughs> Christoph Waltz, hands down, that performance is fucking amazing.
1: And Daniel Day Lewis's Lincoln is so incredibly good and crafted despite that movie being a big circle jerk. Like
0: uh, they're just a-
1: It's a more cohesive
0: performance. It is.
1: That's not taking away from what Joaquin does, but because oh. he has so little to work with, Daniel D. Lewis has a character arc.
0: His character goes on a journey and he gets to show a range and it's more interesting and it's more fascinating watching him do that than it was to watch Joaquin do this. I mean, it's it's true. Like, and it's not to shit on Joaquin.
1: The nomination is deserved, but he does not deserve to win.
0: No, fair. We've not had for that this. conversation a lot. And I, I wasn't mad about. Daniel Day-Lewis winning for Lincoln. That was before we saw the movie. We're just like, I've seen the trailer. He gets it. Yeah,
1: that's good <laughs> enough. Fuck. <laughs>
0: that's enough of a reel for me. Thanks. And Best Supporting
1: Actress, Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. She lost to Anne Hathaway for Les Miserables. Yeah, I don't, that's
0: fine. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. And this is both to Amy Adams' credit, but also to her detriment. She's great in everything. So when she gets nominated, I mean, she's the new Meryl. She's almost like a, a a category filler. What was Amy in? Oh, just nominate her because we need one more. We need one more person. <laughs> you know, she because because you just almost take for granted that she's so good. It is is her good better than what is blowing some someone else blowing some, everyone out of the water? And I feel like that's what Anne Hathaway did. Yeah, I mean, it's the movie. At the end of the day, it's this movie. The movie helps if you are good in a great movie it really does help you in terms of those awards yeah you know even if you're bad in a great movie people don't notice as much but if you're amazing in a bad movie that's a that's a that's an uphill battle
1: it's it's a really hard sell it happens we've seen it happen there's like somebody who's like it's not a good movie but they're fucking incredible (laughs)
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and they earn it but it makes a whole lot of difference if the movie that you're in also has a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And this one just doesn't. And that leads us right into ratings.
0: Oh, Oh. we're we're here already. Wow. We are here already. I I wasn't expecting that. Okay.
1: How many glasses of jug juice are we going to give this movie?
0: You know, I'm going to give it one and a half jug juices.
1: Mm. That's harsh but fair. Harsh but fair.
0: It's it's beautiful and the performances are are fabulous, but the writing is so bad it's to the detriment of everything else. It makes it really hard to like anything else. And I am looking for things to like, which I shouldn't have to do. <laughs> um, so it's a, one, it's a one and a half for me.
1: I'm going to go just a little bit higher to a two because in my mind, and I said this, you know, I do see the promise of where this story could have led. Mm-hmm. I think he just got so wrapped up in the visual storytelling part of it that he missed the story thread that mm-hmm. he normally puts in his movies. We talked about, you know, even Magnolia, which was a movie that we still felt like was had lots of problems. He still threaded some storylines really well. Hmm. He's just trying to tell too many. But in this case, there's just nothing. And while I see where there the different branches that you could have gone to make this compelling, he ultimately chose none of them and tried to just do it with what he had on on film and on screen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just does not work. No. And it just wastes all of this other amazing stuff. It is gorgeous. It is a feast. If you love Paul Thomas Anderson, you should watch it, I think. But just don't go in expecting one of his best because it's really just falls flat in the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. A bummer. But let's end, hopefully, on a high. We're going to go travel through time at a hotel, a very famous hotel, Mm. the Grand Budapest Hotel. I've heard that this is maybe the most epic of all of Wes Anderson's epic stories. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. There are many people who consider this his masterpiece.
0: This is the one that I was most excited to watch of the Wes Andersons, Mm-mm. so I'm excited. We're finally here.
1: I, it's just, I'm ready. Uh, it's it's so exciting to finally get to watch this one, and hopefully we'll have some, you know, actual laughs this time mm-hmm. instead of this.
0: But before we go, we need to talk about some new movies. So we got to see Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings.
1: Shang Chi the master of unarmed weaponry-based kung fu is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization.
0: Yeah, we needed to uh, go throw some money at this film. So we did. <laughs> and it was really fun. I, I was expecting it to be fine. I wasn't expecting a lot because it's an origin film. But it was so fun. It was so good. I just really enjoyed it. I liked all the imagery. They were having fun. Doing that thing where they were showing us instead of telling us, which I really appreciated. It was just so cool. And I know it means a lot to so many people. So I'm I'm ready for it. It's great.
1: The surprises are super surprising and fun. But even more than that, first of all, Simulu is fucking incredible and awesome and charming as hell.
0: Simulu is fabulous. And then Aquafina. If Aquafina's is in it, I want to go see it. I adore her so much. And them together is just a fabulous buddy comedy. <laughs> It's great but there's so much heart there and they they were able to tell an origin story in a way that doesn't feel like oh, okay it's the beginning of everything it's not <laughs> it doesn't feel that way they they measured it really well and they also poke fun at asian origin stories they do they poke fun at some of it in a in a really great way that only they can do Michelle Yao and Tony Lung are oh just which we fawned over so much.
1: We fawned over Michelle Yao, and the fun part is Tony Leung, who we've talked about once on this show for In the Mood for Love, but is just one of those great underrated Hong Kong mm-hmm. actors, and to see him take on this this role and this villain role, we see the complicated villain so often, especially in Marvel,
0: mm-hmm. but never with this much heart. This character has so many layers to it and you understand them all and they they just do such a great job and yeah, like david said there are surprises i looked up nothing about the movie i looked up nothing about this character um in the marvel universe because i just wanted to let them tell me i wanted to let them tell me who is this character going to be in y'all's universe and it was so fun it was so fun, and I can't wait to go investigate more about like, oh, I want to know who this person is in this comic line or this because I love to do that once we get a new a new character.
1: And I think what's so great, too, is like, not only is it so fun and so good, but the other thing is, this is just the first step for this character. He's going to be so awesome.
0: They have stacked the deck so well for him.
1: Like He's going to be so awesome as part of the rest of the Marvel Universe. And then in his own ongoing story, it's gonna be so much
0: fun. Like our eventual next, whatever that the next 20 movies from now end game is, he's gonna be great in that. It's gonna be so cool. I'm here for all of this.
1: Uh, Yes. I'm excited
0: for the next group of superheroes that get to get all intertwined and play together and have this fantastical, epic battle because we already had the ones that everyone was super familiar with. And so now I like that, okay. They're done. They've had their time. Now we're gonna have this new generation that is filled with some familiar faces, but also all these other people that didn't get to be in the first at bat. I love it. I'm so excited for it.
1: Just wait for Katie and Jimmy Woo and Darcy Lewis to meet each other.
0: Oh god. Yeah, the non-super sidekicks in (laughs) in this phase four of Marvel have really taken such a leap into just being like you're amazing like no no this is my moment to be the shit um, while still servicing the story uh marvel's doing great uh i know they haven't always been perfect there's still some problematic shit because they're owned by disney but i feel like, like it looks like they're moving in the right direction and this movie is fabulous so fabulous go see it i can't wait to own it yep so until next time have a good movie Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at Macintosh and Mod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
1: Hold on, I gotta go
0: find the IMDb. Yeah, it's been so long. Movies? Current movies?
1: We saw a movie? Hit a movie? In a place that you can see movies? Suddenly, I'm Jerry Seinfeld.
0: What's the big deal with this? (laughs) All
1: right.